Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Ontario's top doctor has unveiled new directives for mandating COVID-19 vaccinations for those working in healthcare and education. We'll chat with OSSTF President Karen Littlewood and long-term care advocate Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos about what's missing from this new policy. Speaking of policy, the Ontario government keeps using the words mandatory vaccines. Uh, the definition of mandatory means by law or rule. So is this really a mandatory policy? We'll discuss that as well. It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Action-packed program, a lot of it uh, based on uh, well, some of the new information that we got yesterday from Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, who, by the way, will join us on the show a little bit later on. Uh, but he talked about uh, some new uh, regulations. Uh, some are suggesting this is a mandatory vaccination program. I don't quite think it goes that far, but we'll get some clarity on that uh, later on the show. And uh, it's it's what some people think is, is the next step. Others are saying it's not far enough in what Ontario has to do to try to curb the ne- increasing numbers that we've got now, the Delta variant. But uh, as he unveiled the new guidelines yesterday, uh, there's a lot of concern about exactly where we're going to go on this. Uh, Global's Camille Karamali has the details. The Ministry of Education announced staff at school boards, private schools, and child care settings would have to disclose whether they're vaccinated or not. This policy coming short of actually mandating vaccines for the education sector. No unvaccinated person should be in a classroom with our kids. Long-term care researcher Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos says the policies don't go far enough without the mandating vaccine certificates. Using the term mandatory vaccine is wildly inappropriate and completely misclassifies what this is. The province also announced third doses will now be offered to some vulnerable populations, including transplant recipients and long-term care residents. Kamel Karamali, Global News. So have they clarified things or just muddied the waters even more? Uh, We're going to talk about this a little bit on the program now, and we're pleased to welcome to the program Karen Littlewood, the newly elected president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Uh, Karen, welcome to the program, and uh, congratulations on the new appointment oh thanks so much bill i'm happy to be here we uh, had a, a number of discussions as you know over the last number of years with your predecessor harvey bischoff and uh, uh this I'd, I'd like to think well those th- issues are all resolved but uh, the reason you're here today is because <laughs> they're not uh let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the announcement from dr moore yesterday and your reaction to it yeah so i've been out of the classroom for for a while but if i were to give it a grade i'd probably give it a c you know it's got some substance to it it's missing a whole lot it is definitely not a, a level four type of response um, Dr. Moore has put out the medical recommendations, and that's great. I'm really glad that uh, medical um, professionals are being um, contacted, listened to, and that they're able to, to put out their best ideas. However, what we're missing is the rest of the information and the regulations that go along with it and the policies. And again, uh, the Ford government has abdicated responsibility and put the responsibility on school boards to work it out. There's a bit of a framework there, and that's helpful. But right now, boards are going to be scrambling to try and operationalize what's being asked of them now. There's, There's a lot of work to be done still, and Labor Day is almost here. Well, and to that point, we've uh, our newsroom has already had some discussions with local school boards, and they're they're scratching their heads. They say we don't really quite know what that means, uh, and with only a couple of weeks to go until school, like that's that's a precarious situation to be in. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's you know, it's really challenging for them. So we waited and waited and waited for the safe return plan, and it came out end of July, beginning of August. Which, in my opinion, when I read it, I thought there's nothing in here that couldn't have come out in June to allow boards to start working on it. But there were parts that were missing. There were still blanks available in it. We have um, 
people in OSSTF who work in the Provincial Schools Authority, and there's still no plan at all for them. That page is actually blank and says to be announced. So, you know, we waited for a plan, and now, uh, I guess probably due to a lot of public pressure, the call has come now for mandatory vaccines, only they're not mandatory. They're mandatory except you have an exception, and in, in my definition of the word mandatory, that's, that's not it. Um, it, I hope it will increase the number of people vaccinated. OSSTF has really strongly advocated for vaccinations wherever possible. We know some people will not have one for medical or religious reasons or other um, human rights reasons. But still, in order to keep the province safe, we're going to have to have as many people as possible vaccinated. The people in the hospital right now are majority people who are unvaccinated. 90% of the people yep. of the new COVID cases uh, in this year since January mm-hmm. are unvaccinated people. That, I mean, why the vacillation by the government then? I, I, I'm dragging you into the politics, but I know that you're, you're comfortable in the deep end here. Uh, I mean, you know, we're looking for some direction. Other governments, other jurisdictions, other mayors, ever, other premiers uh, have been a lot more forceful about this. We, we seem to be dragging our heels. Yeah, no, Francois Legault has come out pretty strong in a number of cases where it seems like things are much more politicized in Ontario. And, you know, I'm a politician too, so I, I get that. However, I don't think we should be working towards generating votes right now. We should be working towards keeping the province safe. And the hesitation, I believe, is absolutely from lobby groups who are saying, you know, we don't think that there should be mandatory vaccines. I have people saying to me, I don't want to have masks in the classroom. Well, you know what? There's five things that we need to have a safe return. We need ventilation. We need vaccinations we need masks we need testing and we need distance well inside and those things in my mind are non-negotiable we need the money to go along with them to have all of them in place we shouldn't be looking at trying to appease the the lobby groups right now who um, really maybe uh, need to say let's protect the province instead of our own interests well, I'm not so sure they're protecting the province. I'm just, I, I, they seem to be kowtowing to, to anti-vaxxers, and that's a problem. And I, I understand, because I, I, I get emails every time we use this, that phrase, that people are going to say, well, there could be people's legitimate reasons. And you already articulated mm-hmm. that, and we've talked about that hundreds of times on the program. But there's some people that just refuse to. And, and this is what, what's bothering me uh, about the, the Premier's response to this, though, Karen. He's saying, well, you know, they've got the right to say no. Well, no, not when it comes to public health. They don't. You know, you can't just say, I want to drive a car in Ontario and I don't want a license. Okay, that's fine. Or, hey, I'm going to use my cell phone and, uh, while I'm driving because I think that's the right thing to do. No, you can't. The government can mandate laws when it comes to public safety. And if this does not fall under the guise of public safety, I don't know what does. Yeah, no, whatever can be done in order for, to, to protect the public, that's what needs to be done. And you're, you're right. We can't be just kowtowing to lobby groups who want something to happen or to not happen, in fact. Um, uh, same with you. I'll get off the phone now and I will have emails and complaints saying you shouldn't be saying that there should be vaccines. And then I will have people saying it should be mandatory and everybody should have a vaccine in their arm. People, there are some people who can't have uh, the vaccine and, you know, their employment should not be affected by that. They may need an alternate work location or there may be some other protections in place. They may need greater protections. People who choose to not be vaccinated um, are going to have a, an education course. I don't know that that's going to be effective. Um, I think, you know, the people who by conscience are saying, I, I don't want to be vaccinated. Some may say in the end, you know, I, all right, I'll get my vaccine. Vaccines are readily available now and that's sure. what we should be encouraging. Um, I'm concerned that the 12 to 17 year olds are not really the numbers aren't going up rapidly enough. So uh, our members in OSSTF and all aspects of, of education are going to be faced with questions in the classroom. Who's vaccinated? Who isn't? 
school boards have to track all of this. And how, how do they do that in the amount of time that's left before Labor Day? By the 7th of September, they're supposed to know who's vaccinated and who isn't. Well, there are, there are two elements to this as far as, as you're concerned. Of course, your members in, in secondary schools, the, meaning the teachers, of course, uh, and the students. And, and many of the students, especially in the senior grades, are, are eligible and probably should have been vaccinated. We don't know who is and who isn't because apparently we're not allowed to ask. Uh, yeah. and, and I, okay, that's, that's the rule. I get that. But I'm hearing from a lot of parents, and I'm sure you have cared and will continue to hear from who say, I want to know. Uh, the teachers in my son or son daughter's classroom are vaccinated. If they're not, I don't want them in the classroom. I'm not going to send my, my my son or daughter to school. I mean, they're that adamant about this, and I can understand why. There's a fourth wave. This is this is serious stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and Bill, you're right. We also in OSSTF though have people working as early childhood educators. So we have people working um, with three year olds all the way up to uh, post secondary and adult education. So we do have the the wide range there. Hopefully, the 12 to 17-year-olds will be vaccinated. That access to information, though, by parents, that's, that's not going to be there. But no. perhaps through increasing the number of people who are vaccinated, and, and then you know, you know if, if I'm going to have to go to school and I'm going to have to declare that I'm vaccinated, and if I'm not or I choose to not say, then now I'm subjected to other testing. I know that's not going to give the 100% reassurance to the parents and the families, but we have the other members in the school who, who need to know that they're safe as well. People can go through health and safety procedures too. There's a lot of educating that needs to be done, and we need people to be able to feel when they go to work or when they kids go to school that they're going to be safe well and and that's what i'm hearing and i fully understand that i mean you know i'm, I'm hesitant i mean we i've been working from home for how many months now since march mm-hmm. of 2020 I, I, i'd love to get back out there i'd love to start going to movies i'd love to start going to, yep. to football games and baseball games again but it, there's this assurance that we're looking for and and we're not getting it in the schools and that's what i think we were hoping to hear from yesterday i mean you know i, I well i mean I talk about football games i mean you know i, I watched the winnipeg uh, tiger cat game a couple of weeks ago here and uh, everybody at that game game could sit there and say I'm, I'm comfortable here because I know the person sitting beside me got vaccinated because if they didn't they wouldn't be here because they're insisting on that right now the Raptors and the Leafs and 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 the Blue Jays are leaning towards this right now too where you have to show proof of vaccination or you don't get in the building uh, we were hoping that that was what's going to happen with the school board situation but again there's vacillation here and it's leaving parents and teachers and students uh, you know wondering what's going on yeah, no, that, that's right. I, I would as well love to go to a ball game. The thought of it, okay, that's fine. But then I think about getting there and being there. And it, that's, it keeps me away from doing those types of things because I want to make sure that everything is going to be safe and that we're going to be in safe environments. Really, you know, we need to have the push where we are encouraging, where we are that go bus plan where there's a, a, a vaccination clinic that's traveling. That's great. The plan is to have vaccination clinics at schools. A great concern that I have is health units are out of money. They're laying people off. How on earth are they going to be able to do this testing, provide the education about vaccinations and deliver um clinics in different schools and other sites in order to have people be vaccinated. The whole system needs all of the parts up and functioning, and I don't know that we've got all of that in place. Um, We'd love to be able, as OSSTF, to be able to collaborate with the government and to work together with them to have a plan that would make sense. Um, I heard Karen Brown, the newly elected president of ETFO, saying yesterday it doesn't go far enough. Just want to mention there's four women now leading education unions in Ontario, and I'm really proud of that fact. But we have a lot of work to do, and we would love to be able to work with the government in order to, to make sure the province is safe. 
You know, what I'm concerned about here is is this sense of deja vu. And you remember last year, because the government was slow to come up to the table with their plan in the first place, uh, that all of a sudden there was this huge influx of parents and teachers that said, all right, we're, we're opting for remote learning. I don't want my, my kids at the classroom because of this. Uh, with this indecision that's going on right now, I'm afraid the same thing's going to happen in September now, where people are going to say, whoops, sorry, it's not safe. I'm not, yeah. That's not going to happen. And, and, is, and then, it, it, then the pressure's on you as teachers and certainly on the boards to try to accommodate them. Yeah, and as you you will recall, last year boards were scrambling to put virtual yeah. schools in place. Some boards decided not to because, again, it was their choice if they were going to have a virtual school or not. There were boards who were asking last spring for parents and students to declare if they were going to be virtual or online. Well, the situation was very different last spring. And so, you know, there might have been a little bit of uptake. You're right. There's going to be huge demand now, and people are going to say, wait a second, there's 500 cases a day, 700 cases, 1,000 cases, whatever we're going to get to again with Delta just being out of control and really affecting the youth as well. You know, people are going to be saying, I, d- I don't want to be in the classroom. And what we don't want is to end up with that distracted hybrid model where teachers at the front of the class with a laptop with a few students and then some students at home, and they're trying to deliver education and labs and hands-on activities in multiple locations. And it's just, it's just challenging and it's not good for education. We need to make sure that we know that everybody has the protections in place and that everybody is safe and we can go back to -to face-to-face. But just because you wish it to happen doesn't mean it's going to. I got about a minute and a half left here. I, I got to ask you the key question here about your membership. Uh, mm-hmm. We heard the education minister a couple of weeks ago said they're going to try to address the ventilation system by the end of Labor mm-hmm. Day. We'll see. We'll see if that happens. Do your members, do your teachers, feel safe going back into the classroom? <laughs> So we had a town hall meeting yesterday with our leaders, and there were lots of questions. Uh, We we are still seeking advice of an epidemiologist, a ventilation expert, our lawyers. There are so many questions. There are so many unknowns. And again, when each board is determining its own policies and what's going to happen going forward, there really is no consistency across the province. Yes, you need a semi-regional approach where you're looking at the cases and where you're looking at those who are vaccinated and who aren't vaccinated in the area. However... I will say, yes, people are worried, they're concerned, they don't know what it's going to look like, they might have kids of their own and they're worried about them going back to school, and if things have to, we hate the word pivot, and go back to virtual, then what does it look like? It's way easier to lock things down at the beginning of a pandemic, the hardest thing is to open back up, and that's why we're struggling right now, especially with cases out of control. Well, uh, as uh, some of my finest teachers told me, if you don't learn from history, you're going to repeat it. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And uh, we saw what happened last year when that happened. And we, based on what the government was talking to us to do, I mean, we went with half measures. And we saw these numbers spike, which ended up causing school closures and another economic shutdown. I don't want to go down that road again. And I know the premier says he doesn't want to go down that road again. But I would have thought that would have, you know, been the, the impetus for more proactive action. But I guess not. Yeah, no, this this is a recycled plan from last year with a little bit more and HEPA filters in classrooms that don't have adequate ventilation. And that's a bigger problem that's been going on for many years, way before the pandemic, is our schools, the state that they are in. And to throw a HEPA filter in the middle of the room, you know, is there training for it? Do we know or am I supposed to turn it up at lunch when people have their masks off eating? I've got 30 people in a classroom. I still mm-hmm. can't be full capacity in a restaurant, but my class is full. <laughs> Very scary. Uh- it is. Well, uh, more to come on this, as they say, and uh, hopefully this is the first of many conversations you and I will have uh, going forward on this. Karen, thank you so much for the time today. Yeah, thanks so much to you as well, Bill. Have a great day. You too. Karen Littlewood, the newly elected president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, and echoing a lot of the concerns that everybody involved in the education field is having these days. Teachers, parents, students uh, who are concerned about safety in the classroom. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Dr. Kieran Warren, Chair of Chief Medical Officer of Health, is going to be with us later on in the program. But uh, the focus of uh, an awful lot of discussion over the last 24 hours or so has been uh, the announcements that he actually made yesterday, uh, which uh, was actually characterized as an update on uh, Ontario's policy towards vaccination. Uh, well, here's the doctor to explain what he was saying. Effective September 7th, the directive will require covered organizations to implement policies that require their employees and others in these sectors to either provide a proof of full vaccination against COVID-19, provide a documented medical reason for not being vaccinated. In addition, covered organizations will be required to offer an educational session about the benefits and risks of COVID-19 vaccination. So, uh, does that make you feel any better? <laughs> uh, okay, not me either. Uh, joining us to talk about this is Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, who is co-founder of Doctors for Justice and Long-Term Care and a professor at Ontario Tech University. Uh, doctor, always a pleasure. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, friend. I, I got to just maybe get some clarification on this, if I could, Vivian. So if I've got a loved one in a long-term care facility, one of the PSWs refuses vaccination, they're going to take an education course on that. Is that supposed to assuage my concerns? No. And I was hearing from some uh, insiders uh, yesterday, actually, about this. And apparently the video is like five minutes long. I mean, get out of here. This is not going to do anything. The kinds of education programs that are apparently being provided to, quote unquote, convince individuals with anti-vax sentiment is is ludicrous at best and and frankly i do a better job teaching my students about the misinformation and disinformation campaigns about conspiracy you know conspiracy theories surrounding vaccinations um than this government clearly has ever done so it's a problem and, and yeah, we, we can talk in the guise of long-term care, but we were just talking with the uh, new head of the uh, Secondary School Teachers Federation about the concerns that the education sector has about this. Uh, here's the headline that I've seen in five newspapers here, Ontario government is mandating COVID-19 yep. vaccination policies. No, they're not. No, they're not. And this is what really irritates me about this government is that they use these words very deliberately. And, and, and you know, the Unfortunately, the end result is that the, you know, individuals who aren't paying as close of attention to the news, which many people are just sick of hearing about, you know, bad news over and over and over, so they tune out, just catch the headlines or catch, catch the blurbs. And then they think, oh, this government's doing something. I mean, I've had these lay conversations with people as well who are like, but look, they did a vaccine mandate. No, read the fine print. It's not. And then the irony is that, you know, Dr. Moore himself said that they learned from the long-term care policy, the the fantastic, quote-unquote, mandatory vaccine policy that's been in effect in long-term care, which is useless. We have a a long-term care home right now in Etobicoke, Ladera Long-Term Care, with 20 cases and a 37% dual-dose staff vaccination rate. Are you kidding me? And not just this home. I have been dealing with this for the last two months and I have been clearly bringing these concerns to the minister himself places like Bayfield Manor a Southbridge home which at the end of June had a 25 percent dual dose staff vaccination rate and then obviously people if you know people that followed me know that I you know brought Tansley Woods into the media for their 52 percent dual dose staff vaccination rate and it took that public you know shaming effectively to get them to send more mobile clinics to the home and within three weeks they had increased that staff vaccination rate close to 90%, up, you know, almost 35% increase, which just shows that these homes are, A, just not being proactive enough in actually getting mobile, you know, clinics to these 
homes, because a lot of this is just about making it easy for people. Not all of these people are anti-vaxxers. There's a small proportion of the population who are, you know, adamant anti-vaxxers. And unfortunately, this is, it would appear that this is the group that this government is catering to, which is mind-blowing to me, because this is a deadly virus. And we are literally catering to, what, maybe 5% of the Ontarian population? Maybe. I just can't wrap my head around this. Well, in the polling we've seen here, 85% of Canadians are in favor of vaccination and proof of vaccination. 85%. So if your politician likes to stick his finger up and see which way the wind is blowing, that's the way the wind is blowing. Uh, yeah. So why aren't you responding to that? Oh, I mean, we listen, how many times have we been on the show to talk about the glaring lack of evidence-based policies by this you know, government? They, they do not look at the evidence and act accordingly. This has been my nightmare for the last 500 days in long-term care, in addition to pointing out and providing the evidence to this government and saying, look, you need to do something now to be proactive so we don't deal with a reactive nightmare, which is exactly what happened first wave, second wave. You know, third wave, it's going down because, thank God, 99% of the resident population is vaccinated. But keep in mind, the, the fact that the staff aren't mandated to be vaccinated means that even though many of these residents aren't dying, keep in mind, some are indeed dying from breakthrough infections. But mm-hmm. we, we, we've seen the deaths going down. But the problem is, and what people seem to forget is that when a staff-driven outbreak occurs, the home goes on lockdown. So these poor individuals, for example, these poor seniors that have been through enough and were isolated for up to, you know, nine months, often in their rooms alone, are then locked down again. And they've been in this lockdown for three weeks. So it has implications. People's decisions to deny the science and do the right thing for the larger population have consequences for everyone else. And this is the part that really is irritating, and I really think is getting to, you know, the, the craw of everyone right now, because the larger population is sick of a what are we going to be here next talking about the sixth wave, the seventh wave? Because government officials refuse to have the courage to do what needs to be done now and aren't listening to the evidence and taking a proactive, principled, precautionary, principled approach to protecting the larger population. And given the fact that we're going into a setting with two million Ontarian kids un- non-vaccinated, and what that might be like with Delta, which is 50% more transmissible, which is being equated to the chicken pox in terms of transmissibility, mm-hmm. this is going to be a nightmare. Dr. Moore himself admitted in that press conference yesterday that this is going to be a difficult fall. And in the same breath, had the audacity to say, but this is the bare minimum approach that we're taking. Ah, I can't. It's literally mind-blowing to me that that we're living this reality in Ontario. Well, I've got some, as I mentioned, I got the doctor coming on the show later on today, and we made my first conversation with him, and I'm interested because there's a number of questions I want to ask him. But I, one of them is going to be, is there a, still a disconnect here between medical information and public policy, what the government decides to do? Because we certainly saw evidence of that uh, with the pre, with uh, Mr. Moore's predecessor, Dr. Moore's predecessor, uh, when we talked to people on that board like Dr. Uni and others that were saying, no, no, that's not what we said. We said do this, and the government said, yeah, yeah, well, we're just going to water that down. I, I hope that's not happening again but i've I've got my suspicions based on what we heard yesterday well it would be looking at it and another thing i'd love for you to ask uh, dr moore is is you know the the third doses part people were just you know oh they're providing third doses to certain high-risk population the fact that you know and this isn't it hasn't been put out there enough but they're leaving out older adults in the community I mean, this is a standing thing. So the scene, and this has been a problem all throughout the pandemic. The poor seniors living in the community that are not in long-term care, congregate care. You know, the focus was on long-term care, congregate care. Okay, 
But the seniors in the community who have been largely also isolated but have to, for the most part, receive home care by people who are not vaccinated often, and this is another problem, and then you've, you've just left them out for boosters when we know the evidence on the vaccine efficacy waning in older adults. And we know that, you know, Israel has started providing the boosters well underway to individuals 50 plus. So how could they leave out that entire group of older adults in the community for a booster is I, I just can't wrap my head around that. And not even a mention of it. Like, it's not a problem. Well, and let's you know, look at the numbers here, too. It's not because of lack of product anymore. There are vaccines galore here, vaccines for everybody that wants one. Uh, so that's not a problem. I know that I always talked about shortages a year ago when they were talking about their policies, uh, but that's that's not the case anymore. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, among many, actually, Vivian, is uh, the, the, the conditions that, that were there uh, that caused this, the rapid transmission in long-term care facilities, especially a year, year and a half ago, to a, a large extent are still there, aren't they? I mean, yeah, you still have people working working for lousy money. Uh, some of them are still working a couple of different yeah. jobs, so that things are transmissible from one facility to another. And now you've got people that are unvaccinated. And, and, and this is all uh, on top of the fact that we've been told by the medical experts that, look, and even if you have been double vaccinated, you can still get this. Yeah. And if you're in a frail and elderly situation in one of these homes, that could be deadly. Yeah, we're in trouble. And listen, we've been talking about this for God knows how, how long now. I mean, keep in mind that they haven't dealt with the chronic staffing shortages. They haven't dealt with the improper use of, of agency workers, many of which do not have the proper training, do not have any healthcare expertise. Some of, and we're hearing more and more stories of actually fraudulent documentation um, being discovered by these workers in these agency, uh, these agencies, which are, you know, operating like the wild, wild west. And who knows if they're even monitoring vaccination among their agency workers, let alone, you know, the apps that are being used to send Uber style workers to homes. By the way, that also started during the pandemic and was funded by some of the big for profit long term care giants, Rivera being one of them. So if people knew just how terrible it actually was in long-term care, they'd be shocked. But furthermore, we haven't really addressed that this is airborne, so we're not giving, we haven't provided better PPE to these long-term care workers. Nobody has addressed better ventilation and filtration systems. I love it. We talk about it a lot in schools, but do you ever hear it being discussed in long-term care? That's a huge problem. A lot of these homes, the majority of which being the for-profit ones, are older homes with terrible ventilation and filtration systems. So where's the progress there? Like, I mean, it's just astounding to me. Nothing is appreciably improved in this sector the only thing that changed and i've said this over and over and over is that we have a very significant resident population being vaccinated so thank god because vaccines work and that is proof in and of itself that the death rate significantly de- you know decreased over the you know the as soon as we started getting the vaccines to this population at the end of you know december january and really february so but other than that, all the problems remain. <laughs> I mean, there's people thinking that it's all fine now because we're not hearing about all the deaths. So everything must be improved or, or um, they're wrong. So, yeah. Contrast that. And, and I'm, I'm hoping our listeners heard the story this morning on the news uh, as we've been carrying it through the, the course of the morning. Uh, the word out of uh, Queen's Park now is that the premier has issued, issued a directive uh, <laughs> that if for the his caucus, the majority caucus, uh, if you're not vaccinated, you can't show proof of vaccination, you're booted out of caucus. The irony of this to me is so hilariously diversionary, you know, PR stunt indeed, where it's like, hold on, literally you are announcing this on the same Day. Like, you can't make this stuff up. It's satire. On the same day, you shot down an actual vaccine mandate to protect our children and all of our other vulnerable populations in congregate care. It's, it's, a, it's 
mind-blowing to me that they don't see how hilariously bad of an SNL skit that that was. And then when you do a little deeper digging, which uh, I think it was Lorenda Redekop had posted this and then alerted mm-hmm. me to it, it was this actually seems to come into play because it looks like a, a reporter, Jack Ewan from QP Press, was actually... Uh, just happened to jump in and do a story and was asking all the parties if they've been um, vaccinated. And he discovered that most of the PCs didn't respond to him. So then that started to build up a big theory like, oh, my gosh, this is also underlining the problems we have with this PC government not doing the right thing about vaccines. So it looks like literally the most embarrassing, ill-timed PR stunt I have ever seen. Well, and, and even if there's a shred of truth to this, and you know, the proof will be in, the, in actually what they're doing, not just what they're releasing. Uh, the, as you mentioned, the, the contradiction of the double standard here is, is, is blatant. We get that. Uh, but this also runs contrary to what the Premier has been saying, that he doesn't think he has the right to impose this, which, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, is, is total BS, uh, because of course governments have the right to impose restrictions on the population. Uh, that's why we have driver's licenses. That's why we have to wear seatbelts. That's why we're not allowed to use cell phones. It's public health. It's yeah. not, you know, that's why you can't get served in a restaurant with no shirt and no shoes. It's not a fashion statement. It's a public health issue. Yeah. This is a public health issue, isn't it? No question. There was a beautiful Globe and Mail op-ed by a University of Guelph professor the other day, Therese Medling, and, and she really pointed out how this is the harm principle. This is one-on-one. This is how we exist in civilizations. This is what we do to protect our populations. And the simple principle is that, you know, our position as individuals, we're free to do whatever we want until that action poses a threat to others. And there is no question that right now what we're seeing is a government that is choosing to ignore the evidence and say, well, hey, when it comes to COVID-19, you know, people can choose to effectively impose their anti-vax freedoms and their rights on everyone else who is just trying to survive the threat of a deadly virus. And this is ridiculous that we are in this environment where we are actively denying science and taking a prudent, proactive, precautionary, principled response to protecting our society, which ultimately gets us back to living a normal pre-pandemic life. And that is what everyone ultimately wants. The longer we do these you know, piecemeal, half-cocked measures, the longer we are delayed and living in this nightmare because nobody wants to be living like this. So the irony is, is that if we just bucked up, this government bucked up and, and took some, you know, had some chutzpah and did the right thing here, we'd be out of this. Do the right thing. Well, we've seen that happen in other jurisdictions. I know Quebec comes to mind with Premier Legault, who's uh, enacting uh, very, very tough legislation and regulations, not unlike what we've been talking about here. Uh, you don't get vaccinated. You don't go into a bar. You don't go into a restaurant. You don't go to a football game. You don't go I- anywhere indoors without that proof of vaccination. And you know, and they said, if you don't have it, you're just not getting in. That's all there is to it. There's no plan B. Uh, you know, and every time they've enacted this, and we saw this in France a couple of weeks ago, as you and I talked about, there was a huge, all, all of a sudden, demand for vaccinations. People said, oh, okay, well, if you're going to be that way, I guess I'll get the damn vaccination. And, and, and which I, I think addresses this concern that, you, that you've raised. An awful lot of the people that are still unvaccinated uh, might have legitimate reasons. And some of the PSWs, I, I know, because they're working two jobs, three jobs sometimes, it's pretty hard for them to actually set aside time, which is why I'm hoping they can do clinics in the facilities themselves. Well, you need them, yeah. Yeah, but that's but you've got to address that and make it available to people uh, and and get that. I mean, we talked about last year. Boy, if we ever had the vaccine, but our problems would be solved at this mirror. And all of a sudden, yeah. it came along, and now all, you know we had this huge influx for the first three months of it, and now everybody's tailed off. We uh, you've seen the numbers in Hamilton back in July. We were having over nine thousand vaccinations a day. I think we're about fifteen hundred now, and that's yeah. not going to get the job done. 
Yeah, it's a big problem. And unfortunately, you need to provide that, that you know, carrot and stick approach. At this point, the carrots aren't working, so you got to get the stick out. And you have to have some real consequences for not doing your part to help us get back to any some semblance of normal. And, and that is going to require some sort of, and we don't even have to use the word vaccine passwords, vaccine mandates. Just say, we have immunization records. This isn't new. I don't know understand yeah. why we're suddenly acting like we've never had vaccines before. And these anti-vaxxers are acting like this is the first time a vaccine has been created and they've ever actually, how many things do you actually put in your body that you don't know about? How many vaccines have you already put in your body? We know the science. I mean, the risk is no different than any other vaccine that we seen we've how many people in the world have actually had this vaccine we're okay so can we just get on with life and stop politicizing a scientific issue to getting us back to a safe and pre-pandemic reality it just doesn't make any sense to me and, and you know that the sad part is and i teach my students about this long before this pandemic happened about the rise of misinformation and disinformation campaigns around um that anti-vax and and i talked about this and i've linked it to really one individual who has been a fraud lost his medical license for coming up with one paper trying to show that there was some link between the mmr vaccine and autism which we all know that there isn't and has been widely debunked he lost his medical license because of that fraudulent paper but all it took was you know a couple celebrities in the states to go on oprah Jenny McCarthy, I'm talking about. Yeah, that's one. And to start talking about this, and then all of a sudden, it opens up this can of worms on Facebook, because Facebook is the devil when it comes to you know, conspiratorial theories and, and the spread of misinformation and disinformation. And now we're in this mess, because if people actually had the information on that and actually saw the rise of a lot of recent anti-vax rhetoric, they would completely understand how laughable it is and how it was actually created by a completely unethical, fraudulent person who ended up losing his medical license because of clear, clear fraudulent behavior. I just, like, why aren't we teaching this to our populations? Why aren't we having this in the education campaigns that they're providing to people in these facilities who are opting out? Well, I mean, seriously, this isn't rocket science here. All you have to do, and you, you said a, a very good quote earlier, right? Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that was George St. a Spanish philosopher. I love that quote. Yep. I use it all the time. And the whole point is, like, you need to understand the past so you don't repeat it. So first, can we teach people the proper historical you know, roots of this anti-vax sentiment, particularly over, you know, North America in the last, you know, 20 years? And, and if people knew where this really arose from, I really think that would help to quell a significant majority of any of the anti-vax sentiment out there. I hope so. That should be part of the five-minute video to show those people. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, Pac's on Oprah, too. But mind you, she's also the oh, one that gave us Doc, Dr. Phil or Dr. O. So there's Z or whatever his name is. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, let's stay in touch. I, I really appreciate your passion for this and, and the great work that you're doing with the organization, Doctor. Stay well, and uh, we'll talk again soon. You too, friend. Take care. Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, co-founder of Doctors for Justice. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. So where are we now? Well, we know that cases are increasing, and that's a concern with us. We know that uh, we're being told that we're in the fourth wave, and we never wanted to see that happen. So the question is, is are we doing enough to try to curtail this? Well, to get the answers to that, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Kieran Moore, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for the province of Ontario, to the Bill Kelly Show. Doctor, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you for the time today. 
Well, good morning, Bill, and thanks for having me on. Well, lots to talk about here, and I know your time is limited. I appreciate you jumping on with us for a few minutes. Uh, we know, for instance, uh, in your previous job, uh, when you were the um, Chief Medical Officer of Health for Kingston Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington, uh, you were characterized as, as one of the, the pioneers. You were proactive in the way things were going, and you took what some people consider to be stringent measures to curtail the number of new cases and, and got a pretty good handle on it, better than a lot of other jurisdictions in Ontario. Are you comfortable with what you announced yesterday, Doctor, that you're going to achieve the same goal? We, we certainly have the intent to increase our immunization rates, and, and we're, we're, we were somewhat stuck at around 81%, and our, our number of shots in arms on a daily basis was slipping, uh, and I hope uh, our communities, uh, and Hamilton included, will continue to embrace immunization as our way out of this, um, uh, and that we are the percentage of people protected through immunization, it's safe, it's effective, will only increase going into the fall where the risk goes up, and have to thank everyone in Hamilton that's come forward. Um, your immunization rates are good, but we can all do better. You're at around 78% today, first doses, and 70% second doses. But as we go into the fall, the higher the rate, the less um, uh, illness we'll have in our communities, the less impact on your local hospitals, uh, and the, the more our uh, mental, social, physical, and economic well-being won't be impacted. With that in mind, I share that goal, and I think most of our listeners do, not just in Hamilton, but in London, where I know the numbers are pretty good as well, Doctor. But if that's the case, and if that's the ultimate goal, why not just mandatory vaccination then? So we have embraced an immunization policy that, that does give the option uh, of uh, get immunized, uh, and or provide us with an exemption and or have a testing strategy. Um, my choice in every instance will be to get immunized. It's the safe, effective means to protect yourself. Um, but um, if you choose not to, uh, we'll always have that additional testing strategy to protect um, vulnerable people, especially in the education sector and the health sector. Uh, if that doesn't work, if our rates stay low, there will be the option for uh, a health agency to um, raise the bar um, uh, and move to mandatory if uh, they've done a risk assessment and, they, and, and their, the health of the patients that they serve is getting affected. So is it fair to say then that, that mandatory vaccinations are not off the table? The answer is just not yet? They're not off the table. This was a baseline expectation of all hospitals, all home care providers in Ontario uh, to provide a minimal level of protection for the patients that they serve, um, uh, to protect uh, the community as well, and to set the standard for the community. Uh, I'm so happy that over 90% of doctors have had their second doses already, and that number is increasing day in and day out. Um, I would love all health professionals to, to step up, step forward, anyone working in those sectors realize that we're, we're honored to serve we're honored to provide care to individuals and we shouldn't be posing a risk to any of our patients uh, and or clients so uh, that's why we put in either immunize or test testing will reduce the risk but my my preference always will be to be immunized with the two doses uh, to best protect yourself your community your family your workplace uh, and together with the higher the immunization rate um, the better protected we all are 
you talked about the, reaching out to those people that are not vaccinated yet, and, and I'm going to exclude the anti-vaxxers, that, and I think it's a very small number, frankly, uh, that just are opposed to this for whatever reason they might want. Because uh, I know there's a large group there that, as you mentioned, could be health reasons, maybe religious reasons, or maybe accessibility could still be an issue for some. But how do you reach out to that group that you want to reach? That's that's where those numbers are going to go up, Doctor. And, and I know they talk about education programs, but what can you tell them that they haven't already been told? Yeah, so I, I think sometimes it's an individual conversation with your physician, your nurse, your nurse, um, uh, nurse practitioner, or your pharmacist. It may take the 10, 15, 20 minutes to be able to respond to any questions that individuals have. And you're absolutely right. There's three... 4% of individuals that won't get immunized. Uh, we're at 81.6. So we've got, you know, theoretically, we've got 13, 14% of Ontarians that we really have to reach that are still eligible. Uh, and I think they just need their answers, uh, their questions answered. They need to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, they need to ensure that the vaccine is accessible, it's available. Uh, you know, we have to go to them sometimes. But answering the questions, answering their concerns is, I think, the best way to go. The other piece is uh, I'm so happy that, um, you know, Colleges and universities have stepped up with uh, immunization policies for uh, their venues, for their business. Um, uh, MLSE just announced that they're going to have an immunization or test strategy to attend any of their venues. I think um, you know, the, the policy window is open and many organizations are uh, agreeing with us uh, that we need the highest level of protection. We need uh, to get our mental, social, physical, and economic well-being back in play. Uh, and we need a balanced, proportionate response. And to do that, we need the highest immunization rate uh, we can achieve. Um, uh, everyone has to reach out and have these difficult conversations. Uh, uh, if they haven't been immunized, why haven't they? Uh, what questions do they have? It, it's going to be one-on-one -on -one conversations going forward. We knew, we called this the last mile strategy because we knew it would be difficult uh, to get that last 14, 15%, but we're here for them. We are here to answer the questions. We want them protected, and we want to reduce the impact of Delta heading to the fall and winter. Uh, uh, last question for you, because I know you, you've got a lot of work on your plate this morning, Doctor, and I appreciate that. Uh, from your uh, your press conference yesterday, and you know in our business, of course, we tend to clip and get little snippets of the conversation. And the one that, that got played an awful lot over the last 24 hours, Doctor, and I'm sure you've heard it more than a dozen times, uh, is when you said, I think, you know, I, I'm sorry to say, I think this is going to be a difficult fall and winter. Uh, that sent a lot of chills down people's spines, thinking, wait a second, is, is this going to go on again for another seven to eight months uh, that, that we're going to be dealing with this? How do, what, what do you foresee here? Yeah, and I'm so sorry. I, I know uh, you know people are concerned, uh, but I have to be straightforward and honest. Uh, yeah. This virus wants to continue to replicate uh, and spread, uh, and and uh, I'm worried about the third or fourth week of September when we go indoors, where our colleges or schools or uh, education facilities are opening. But you know we now have policies that can decrease that risk. Businesses are putting in policies that are decreasing that risk, um, uh, and and we can together as a community decrease the risk over the fall and winter. But if we don't, um, I, I have seen modeling of sudden surges. We can see what's happening in Alberta and BC right now. They have triple our rates when they've let their guard down. They've taken their masks off. We know in England they had a sudden horrific surge in cases of Delta with impact on the hospital sector, the ICU, and sadly death. Um, to me, this is preventable. Preventable through immunization uh, and best practices of masking in public spaces, hand hygiene, getting tested if you have symptoms. Ontario's done brilliantly over the last year and a half. We can do better by having the highest immunization rate. I hope everyone 
that's listening is hearing the passion in my voice, please consider getting immunized as soon as possible. Have your questions answered. Your pharmacist, physician, nurse, nurse practitioner are here to answer your questions. We need the highest immunization rate we can achieve. Right, very quickly, a quick follow-up just based on what you said there. Uh, I know a lot of businesses that I've talked to have already started back-to-work programs. People have been working remotely for the last, well, 18 months for some people. Uh, would you advise them to put the hot pause button on that right now, or do you feel that should proceed or could proceed? I think they should embrace the immunization policy. Um, just like we've uh, laid out for our acute care sector, our primary care sector, um, uh, uh, home care sector, I mean, uh, and, and we've started it with the education sector. Look at those policies if you're a private business. Immunizer test uh, is a very reasonable first step uh, in bringing workers back, um, uh, and it will safeguard your business and your workplace. And we're happy to work um, with um, the various ministries um, that any business could be associated with. Doctor, a pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for your time on a very busy day, a very busy week, and hopefully the first of uh, many conversations we'll have as we uh, make our way through this. Uh, stay well. Okay, and you too, and thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Dr. Kieran Moore, the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the province of Ontario. This is the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML in Hamilton. Uh, the doctor mentioned about uh, the, some of the new policies uh, by uh, Maple Leaf Sport and Enterprises, and others are doing the same sort of thing too, where they are requiring proof of vaccination to get into their venues uh, to take uh, part in whether a fan or whatever it's going to be. I want to bring Dr. Barry Pakes into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Pakes is a public health and preventative medicine physician and a professor at the Dylan School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Uh, doctor, welcome back to the program. Great to have you with us again today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We were just talking with uh, Dr. Moore about, uh, you know, mandatory vaccines, and, and the province didn't quite go that far. Uh, were you surprised by the policy from, uh, from MLSE and from other places right now to say, we want to see proof before you go through the gates here? No, not surprised at all. I think it's a great move, and I think we're going to see more of it. Um, you know, as Dr. Moore just articulated, it's it's hard to come down hard on people and say you absolutely must get vaccinated. And, you know, it's taken a little bit of time, not only for, you know, provincial authorities, local authorities, but also our society to get used to that idea. And this idea that, you know, there really is this choice. Either we're going to have, uh, you know, a, a, a really significant explosion of cases uh, and potentially need to lock down or vaccination. And I think we're in a good place with respect to that now. And MLSE and many other organizations saying, listen, um, the only way for us to, to have large gatherings or even to get together in a small workplace is to have everybody vaccinated. And the best way to do that is to present this sort of you get to have a choice, but it's, it's a little bit of a false choice. You get to vaccinate uh, or, or pretty regular testing. It's going to be a bit of an imposition on your life. Well, and, and I, I'm, I'm befuddled by the number of people that are shocked by this idea about mandatory vaccinations. Uh, we've had mandatory vaccinations for a long, long time here. I mean, my kids didn't get to school until they had, uh, you know, their vaccination reports all up to date. I mean, this is this is what happens, and uh, we didn't seem to complain about it then because we knew it was for the children's well-being. Well, now it's for our, our community's well-being, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, as you as you point out, we've had mandatory vaccinations. Uh, for quite some time. There are some, you know, very narrow exemptions and, and certainly as a public health position in a health unit, I deal with people who are, are trying to exercise their rights under those exemptions, but they're really small. They're in the neighborhood of, of a couple of percent so that, you know, when kids come to school, 95% plus are immunized and we can have, you know, safe schools. And, and what we're looking at now is doing exactly the same thing on a population basis. We need that 90% or even higher. And I, I think we can get there. 
Let's talk about the policy that's enacted here, and, and I know that there's already been some pushback. Uh, the baseball season's already on, and they're finally back, of course, at, at, uh, at the arena, and, and they're upset about this, and some of the fans are. But this is a matter of public safety that, that we've talked about here. And other jurisdictions, as you mentioned, have done this. Uh, you know, Winnipeg Blue Bombers have announced a policy. I mean, you can't get into a Blue Bombers game unless you show proof of vaccination. Uh, the Montreal Alouettes are doing that because of the new rules that are in Quebec. Uh, story this morning, I don't know if you saw this one, Doctor, that uh, the Las Vegas Raiders of the National Football League enacting a very similar policy. No proof of vaccination, you don't get into the game. Uh, do, you, do you see this catching on? Is this a trend that other arenas and maybe other businesses are going to adopt? Absolutely. You know, it, it, but what it comes down to for any of these organizations, large and small, is either you adopt a policy like this or your operations, you know, what brings in your revenue is going to be incredibly disrupted. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. Certainly, you know, public health and community safety uh, comes in there, but, you know, it, it really is sometimes about the bottom line. And you can't run safely without this kind of policy because you're just going to have tons of people, you know, dismissed, quarantining, and, and overall disruptions, as well as bad PR when something unfortunate happens. So, you know, there's the two pieces of that. The community safety, hopefully, is what motivate, what's motivating many people. But the other aspect of business continuity is really critical. And I think, you know, pretty much every organization in our society, slowly, because some are resistant, is going to move in this direction. Well, we saw that from the, the, the Blue Bombers organization when they made that announcement at the beginning of the CFL season. And, and they said, look, this is a pragmatic decision on our part. I'm paraphrasing it. But they said the worst-case scenario is if the numbers continue to rise, we have to shut down again. That means you're not going to go to any game. Nobody's going to go. So he says we're trying to be preventative and to try to help mitigate those numbers. It makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, just to, to highlight another sector, universities. You know, yeah. a couple of universities came on with these sorts of policies, and now all of them, you know, led by the province, are doing this because if you can imagine a, a university student taking five classes, some large, some small, some really large, you know, you're just going to have incredible disruptions in learning if you don't have a, a vaccine or test policy. So it really does make sense in almost every sector. Well, one of the, I was going to say, unintended consequences, maybe on the other hand, it was very much intended, uh, was every time a government has made an announcement like this, uh, such as Quebec or France a few weeks ago, and now these policies with MLSE, invariably we've seen a surge in the number of people requesting vaccinations within the last 24 or 48 hours after the announcement's made. So I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be a consequence of what happens here. Absolutely. that That's the point. You know, we especially in Ontario, where we've got 80-plus percent um, who've been vaccinated. It's just a small group, and they, they now recognize and see themselves as what we call in public health laggards, people who are just, you know, waiting and hopefully sitting on the fence and just willing to get over that fence now that pretty much everyone else in society is vaccinated. And, you know, I, I hope it feels good for them. You know, they people with some hesitation, looking at everyone else, looking at policies of almost every organization that they interact with, including their own workplace, you know, it, it makes sense, and hopefully they're able to get vaccinated comfortably at this point. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Well, and this is all under the guise of trying to stay well. And I, I look at this, and I understand what the business community is saying. I talked to a couple of restaurateurs about this the other day too, and, and they're in favor of this, mandatory vaccinations and also proof of vaccination. Uh, they said, look, at you know, eventually we want to open up like some of the other jurisdictions have done, but a lot of people are hesitant to go into indoor dining or to go into a movie theater or to go into an arena uh, because they don't know if the person sitting beside them has, va has been vaccinated or not. Well, that assuages that concern if you adopt a policy like this. So I, I agree. I I'd, I'd like to see this happen in a lot more jurisdictions, and I'm hoping that it will over the next uh, couple of days and weeks. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.
The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.